wheelchair because I was born with not strong legs and I couldn't walk or I couldn't crawl or anything. So I got a wheelchair when I was two years old and I've been driving it ever since. Just because she's different doesn't mean she doesn't like, you know, fit in. Sometimes people will just stare at her. It's like, normal person, you're a human being. So my whole life would probably be different if she didn't have a disease. I wouldn't have some, like, a good brother to help me with the stuff I need to be helped with. And it's just easier for me to go through life with a big brother like Trenton. A 5K run, and uh, when you go there, you, you pay, and then you, they're raising money for a cure so they can walk. So lot, lots of people run. Um, I always do it every year to support her. It feels good that I have a brother that would run and do stuff for me, and so that it just really feels good. She's like, she's one of the center priorities of my life. Like, I would take a bullet for her, and uh, um, The, uh, you gotta love the sister's face there, right? <laughs> She's like, it's all right, man, you know? Um, at the same time, uh, incredibly heartwarming. Uh, generosity is. Uh, a, a kid who can be incredibly selfish with his time, uh, instead, uh, insanely generous, um, not self-serving. Again, most eight, nine, ten-year-olds uh, pretty focused on one eight hundred themselves, uh, but this this lad uh, isn't. So I want to ask you a question, and it's going to be a strange question. Uh, as you look back on your life, what is your single greatest act of generosity? If we, if we started like passing the mic right now, it would kind of null and void the generosity, right? Because we would start sharing. Oh, yeah, well, my single greatest act of generosity, right? And we, we would start sharing. And it would be very, very easy to, to lose the purity of generosity in our pride. But just think about it for a second. Your greatest act of generosity... Uh, think about how heartwarming it was. Think about how uh, not self-serving it was. Think about uh, just the whole situation and scenario. Uh, generosity is uh, insanely powerful, both on the one who is being generous, and though it's more difficult at times to receive, uh, the power is felt simultaneously. Um, listen, the Israelites uh, have been on quite a journey 
And I, I would think you would agree with me, so far today, we haven't seen much generosity from them. They've been given a lot. They've been graced a lot. Gifts, God's power has been seen. Their life has been saved. No more slavery. And so you would think the natural response that we would have seen thus far would be hearts pouring out of generosity. That has not been the track record. Okay? And in recent weeks, we saw a golden calf be built. And then what's happened since then is a few reminders here. So let's look at this, where we've been recently. Okay, recently in Exodus, God has reiterated the covenant. Remember, Moses comes down, he breaks the tablets in two, which, by the way, is anyone else, is the timing weird? Have you guys seen the previews, right? Like, Exodus the movie uh, is coming out, like, in a week and a half, in the same week that we're ending the book of Exodus. Now, I'm not standing on its biblical accuracy. I don't know yet, okay? I'll have to wait until I see the movie. But I know the Gladiator director directed it, so it can't be that bad, you know what I'm saying? (laughs) Right? And and so I can't wait to see the scene, uh, if they show it, where Moses comes down and breaks uh, the tablets. I was reading in our children's Bible last night, uh, and the scene is actually pretty hefty uh, in one of our uh, children's Bibles because, I mean, the, the, the tablets are broken. Moses is... Uh, seemingly angry. So God has reiterated the covenant. Moses comes back up. Next slide. Recently in Exodus, we have seen the nation be cleansed of those who would not repent. In a very difficult portion of scripture, we saw 3,000 killed by some of their kinsmen, right? Because they wouldn't repent. They wouldn't uh, give in that God was, in fact, the one that they were to submit to. They wanted to still submit to a yoke of slavery in idolatry. And so they were killed Uh, Also recently in Exodus, just after that, we see uh, this next portion that the covenant uh, was written down again on new tablets, and then it was taught to the people. Moses communicates again to the people, hey, remember, like, all these things are things that we have together uh, prescribed to, and uh, finally we saw this recently in Exodus here, Uh, the people have accepted the covenant and Moses' leadership again. So the people are seemingly in the grace of God again. They're in the mercy of God. They're they're accepting of the covenant. They're not shunning Moses. And tonight we get to see where all of their hearts entwine in the first section here of Exodus chapter 35. So open your Bibles to Exodus 35 or turn in your LED screens, God forbid, uh, with me to Exodus 35. I'm just kidding. Use them at your will. Here we go. Exodus chapter 35. Verse 1, three more weeks of Exodus tonight, next week, and uh, finally, uh, December 17th. Here we go. Moses assembled all the congregation, in verse 1, of the people of Israel, and he said to them, these are the things that the Lord has commanded you to do. He's getting ready to make several statements, and he's wanting to remind them that it's not him that's speaking, but God. This is why Matthias holds so strongly to God's word. If we don't preach God's word, we start thinking that we're to be doing what man says. You guys see what I'm saying? If we don't hold strongly to the word of God, then we get confused of who it is that we're following and what it is that we're submitting to. That's why we make clear here every single week by preaching the word of God that we're submitting to God and his awesome, perfect scripture. Does that make sense? Okay, if it's just some communicator's ideology, it can become very confusing, and then a church is built around a person and not a God. So he reminds them, this is what the Lord has commanded you. Verse 2, check this out, beautiful. Six days work shall be done, but on the seventh day you shall have a Sabbath of solemn rest, 
holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on it shall, yes, be put to death. This seems extreme. We're getting ready to see how the proper worship of the Israelites is going to flesh out. So the question is, why now the third reminder of the Sabbath? God's getting ready. We're going to see tonight to instruct them how to build the tabernacle, the tent of meeting, and all these things to come together. So why would God now bring back the Sabbath? Here's what God's saying. Just because I'm going to give you instructions on how to build a very precious place of worship, it doesn't negate the need for rest. In other words, my desire to have a place for you to congregate, worship, and make sacrifices does not supersede my other commandment of rest. You work six, on the seventh, you rest. This is the beautiful rhythm that God sets up in all of creation. Listen, if you do not work on one day, if you cease and celebrate the work of Christ, it is a phenomenal reminder that you don't hold the world in the palm of your hands. He gets even more specific in verse 3. You shall kindle no fire in all your dwelling places on the Sabbath day. Well, why is this? Um, let me try to explain as best I can. Uh, Thanksgiving leftovers. Anyone? Right? Is there anything better besides the dinner itself than a, than a cold turkey sandwich? You guys know what I'm saying? Like, I... I guess not. I guess I'm the only one. Do the rest of you... I'm not saying stuffing is great cold, okay? I'm not saying, you know, there's certain components. I'm not saying mashed potatoes and cold curded gravy is good. But a turkey sandwich? Come on, right? I mean, it's beautiful. Which now starts us thinking on, like, really good cold things to eat, okay? How many of you guys like a cold frozen pizza? Any, okay? Several of you, yeah. Cold fried chicken, Anybody? And listen, if you've ever had King Edwards, a little shameless plug for a local business, if you've ever had uh, a King Edwards, do you have King Edwards cold? I'm, I'm telling you, your life will be changed, all right? Me, me and Brandon have started rocking King Edwards all the time, and, and I'm putting on a few pounds, but it's all good, right? Like, cold, uh, food can be pretty, pretty, you know, pretty awesome cold, and, and that's the concept here, right? Like, you have to heat up your food. And so what God is saying is, listen, on the Sabbath... You're not going to be hustling and bustling trying to prepare food. You're going to eat either something that has been prepared or you're going to eat the cold manna, as it were. Okay, verse 4. Here we go. Moses said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, this is the thing that the Lord has commanded, another reminder. And then verse 5. Take from among you a contribution to the Lord, Whoever is of a generous heart, let him bring the Lord's contribution. So two really interesting observations. Number one, the word generous. And number two, its connection with the word heart. So let's just get super basic, super baseline. Do you consider yourself a generous person? Uh, would your kids, uh, father, mother, describe you as generous parents? Uh, would your friends know you to be a generous person? And, and if you are generous, right, like all of these relationships around you would be benefactors of your generosity. Maybe once in a while you're, you're paying for the meal ticket, right? Uh, maybe once in a while you're offering your vehicle and your gas to be driven. The word generosity here in the scripture, the Hebrew word for it impl implies a willingness 
It implies a free will. It implies an offering of something you really desire to do, a giving of it, okay? Now, when you start talking about generosity, uh, the first thing that comes to my mind are all of the fears that we have about being generous. And maybe these will be unsaid in your mind until you see them for yourself, but I'm telling you right now, is the question, are we a generous people? And I think we're going to understand some more as we look through some of these fears. So some what-if fears of generosity, including even the Israelites here. What if giving makes me vulnerable? First of all, I want to make sure we're on the same page about giving. Generosity isn't just the dollar. In fact, I would say in our culture, the greatest generous gift that we can give, it has nothing to do with green, okay? Or for some of you, silver, right? Like for us, the biggest thing is our time. So as you start processing generosity, or as you start seeing opportunities for yourself to be generous, the first what if that often comes to your mind is what if it makes me vulnerable? What if I can't pay my bills anymore? What if, uh, what if my time won't be protected? What if, you know, this and, and, all, and, and on and on and on. And the generosity, instead of in a free will offering being given, our time, our resources, our talents, our gifts, we hold it in fear. But, but God, what if, but God, what if, uh, what if I can't do this anymore? But God, what if the comfort goes away? But God, what if, you know, I'm, I'm left estranged? And on and on and on. Many of you are right there. The second what if that I think really grips us. And this is a historical one. Uh, 85% of you, which is a completely random stat. People say 99% of percentages are made up on the spot, so we're going to go for it. Uh, 85% of you in the past of generosity have been burned. Um, you gave your time, your resources, you brought someone in your home, you gave someone a ride, you provided a meal for someone, and you left that in encounter, that experience feeling uh, taken advantage of. And so when given an opportunity to be generous, to in an overwhelming way be not self-serving, but serving of others, humble, the constant thought in your mind, the fear is what if, what if they don't, like what if it doesn't pan out? What if they come back to haunt me? What if I get myself in over my head? And so you hold and, and, and maybe rather you hoard, okay? Another what if uh, is seen in this, uh, what if I don't get a thank you? One of the biggest things that I love when watching parents, right, is, um, especially when you're around other people, the biggest thing you want your kids to say is please and, and thank yous, right? And don't you ever feel like parents that you're like just training your kids to be robots, right? You're, you're like sitting at the restaurant table and someone brings the water, you know, say thank you, you know, like, and you're like nudging them. You got like a, a fork and you're like prodding their back, you know, like, <laughs> come on, kids, say thank you, right? And, and you just want to instill in your, in your children's minds and their hearts this, this desire of gratitude. So what is generosity if it's always anticipating or needing or desiring a thank you, is it any longer generous if that's the motive of your heart? How many of you feel like you hoard or hold in fear that the person won't be appreciative? I hear this often uh, in our, some of our We Love St. Charles efforts. Um, people really struggle if um, some of the folks that we journey alongside and serve uh, if they don't say thank you or if they don't seem appreciative. 
it really puts you on the other side then of understanding how God must feel. And maybe differently than, than feeling just the reality of the Lord. Provided the greatest thing that we could ever experience and yet our gratitude wanes by the second, right? So many of you hold because of that fear of not getting a thank you. Next slide, somewhat of fears of generosity. What if my generosity doesn't actually help, right? Like, like what if they really don't need this form of generosity? What if, what if this is what they need? Or, and, and, and the questions cripple you. Instead of freely having the opportunity to give, you hold. I asked the question earlier about what was your greatest act of generosity because my guess is in some of you, there's there like a tear that started coming to your eye, like your heart was welling up with joy. There is tremendous joy in generosity, tremendous. And so what I think is, is if the enemy, is if our flesh can do anything in us to get us to, to, get us to hold, live in fear, instead of give graciously and generously like we have been given, then he's won a major battle in not only Christendom, in our relationships, including the body of Christ altogether. If he can just get these what-ifs to hang in our head, and finally, five what-ifs, next slide. What if I enable instead of empower? Come on, some of you guys have feared this. What if I'm generous with my time and then and then I'm just enabling a particular behavior or a particular kind of struggle. So let's just agree right now. There is a tremendous amount of fear that goes on with generosity. And let's go ahead and be honest that, that many of you have existed your entire life withholding because of some of these things and more. And I just want to ask you, what kind of, what kind of life is that? What kind of life is constantly living in fear and trying to build some kind of kingdom that you own? What kind of life is that? What kind of life is it seeing need around you? And as God prompts, leads, and directs by his spirit, you saying, no, God, I, I feel prompted to do this, but, but my fears outweigh the direction of your spirit. How dangerous is this for us, church? We feel prompted because of our intimacy with the Lord, the power of the Spirit working in us. We feel prompted to obey in a situation, giving of our time, maybe in discipleship or in a relationship, or giving our resources uh, to benefit those around us in some way. And we literally look at God and say, listen, God, I really appreciate the calling and all, but my fears today are going to win. And I feel like what God's saying is, no, 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 you, you don't get it. None of this stuff is yours anyway. Like your time's not yours. When did you start thinking that your time is yours? When did you start believing that the minutes are yours? God's saying, I hold every breath in my hand. And if that's true, if I really hold every breath in my hand, then that means your minutes are mine. Are you guys with me? When in the world did you start believing that your, your green is yours or that your car is yours or that your house is yours? And now so many of you, like you should be, are thinking, Mark, we've heard this message before. Let's sing Kumbaya and light some candles, you know? Like our stuff is not our own. Of course it's God. Okay. If it is his, then where is the life that's following that belief? It tells me we really don't believe. 
Scripture says in James chapter 2, faith without works is dead. So the belief that it's all God's would lead to what? Action, right? It would lead to a a response. It would lead to our lives saying, you're right, God. Help us stay in step with your spirit. Help us discern. And Lord, give us a heart of generosity. We're going to flesh this out as the night goes on. What Moses directs the people, you're going to give some offerings to the Lord, and you're going to be generous. So look at what happens. Okay, here we go. Contributions of gold, silver, and bronze into verse 5, verse 6. Blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen. And I love this. Even goat's hair. Which means what? Which means the contributions weren't just going to be the wealthy. Come on. The generosity now wasn't about how much you had. It was a condition of the heart. And some of you have to hear that. Generosity is for the rich. Generosity is for the have much. But I don't see that at all in Scripture. I don't see that in this story. If people can bring goat's hair, then that means you're going to have a really interesting time getting the hair off the goat if it be living, right? Right? But that means all you have to do is have a goat. Generosity is for the poor. It's for the rich. It's a condition of the heart. Tanned ram skins, verse 7, and goat skins, acacia wood, oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil, and for the fragrant incense, and onyx stones, and stones for setting for the ephod and the breast uh, piece. This is the, uh, the, the, the garb of the high priest. Verse 10, let every skilled craftsman among you come and make all that the Lord has commanded. The tabernacle, its tent, its covering, its hooks, and its frames, its bars, its pillars, and its bases. Many of you who have been journeying with us, remember, this is the structure of the tent of meeting. The ark with its poles, the mercy seat, and the veil of the screen, verse 12. The table with its poles and its utensils, and the bread of the presence. The lampstand also for the light with its utensils, its lamps, and the oil of the light. Here's what God's doing. You're going to provide every piece of it from the resources that you have. I want to build, I'm going to provide, and you're going to give. Did you guys hear that? I want to build, I'm going to provide, and you're going to give. So what's the common denominator of all that? It's God is doing the work. God is providing the resources. And what he asks of the Israelites and what he asks of you and I is we just give. And you're like, but Mark, just give? I mean, it's so difficult. Yeah, maybe we've just made it way harder than it is. If it is an issue of the heart, then maybe the hearts have become so incredibly hard that we don't believe it's just give. Our equation would be he wants to build and grow and develop and we're providing. And so then we're going to negotiate with God. Hey, God, listen, I've worked 70 hours this week. God, you don't understand. Like, I, you know, I, I did this for my children and now you, now you want me to give them my time? God, I have four kids. Like, what more, do, what more would you ask of me, right? I, I've noticed this about parents. I think some of the most dangerous seasons of all of our life is when we have young children. Why? Because kids in Christendom become one of the greatest scapegoats for mission, for generosity. But you don't understand, I have kids. Okay? That means that your kids are now watching how generous you are. 
That means your kids are seeing if you're hoarding and building or if you're giving. Let me use this analogy. Okay, one of the things I love for our kids to do, you guys have heard me talk about this before, we love to, to bake cookies and we love to deliver them. Okay? How much more lame would it be if all we did was bake cookies and eat them? And some of you are like, that's actually amazing, right? Like, <laughs> I guess it depends. Like, if it's a grandma cookie, then maybe, you're right? Um, it's so much more lame. Why? Because the satisfaction, the enjoyment is done once the chocolate chip is down, is down the tube, right? It's so much more fun to open up the van door, see my riffraff come running out, drop a few cookies on the grass, put them back on the plate, and then deliver them to our good friends, right? <laughs> right? It's so much more fun. Why? Because my kids are learning, they're growing in the understanding of what it means to, to give, not just with resources or cookies, but with time, with energy. That's what God is saying. Listen, I'm building, I'm providing, and you're going to give. So that means the only piece of the equation that you have is giving back to me what I've already given you. That's it. So with a generous heart, give. Verse 15, he goes on, and the altar of incense with its poles and the anointing oil and the fragrant incense and the screen for the door at the door of the tabernacle. The altar of burnt offering with its uh, grating of bronze, its poles and all its utensils, the basin and its stand. Verse 17, the hangings of the court, its pillars and its bases and the screen for the gate of the court, the pegs of the tabernacle and the pegs of the court and their cords. The finely worked garments for ministering in the holy place, the holy garments for Aaron and the priests and the garments of his sons for the service of the priests. You're going to provide all these things. Then all the congregation of the people of Israel departed from the presence of Moses. Unbelievable verse. Why? Why is it awesome? They hear the command and then they leave. And why are they leaving? Because they're instantly prompted to go get the stuff. They're like, well, what what are we going to stand around here and do? Are we just going to stand around here and talk about giving? Um, Does anyone else get really frustrated with conversations that don't go anywhere? Um, this is a true story, and please forgive me if you look down on me because of this, but um, in my previous uh, church experiences, uh, I was on you know, staffs, and at times the staff meetings would go very long, and then I just developed, and again, forgive me, I just developed the one-hour rule, Okay. And this, this may sound haughty. It was just like I could only take so much conversation about like trimming the bushes on the outside of the church building that I finally told our pastor like, look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be here for an hour and at the hour point, I'm just going to go ahead and leave, you know? Because it seems to me like everything significant, we can knock out in an hour. All of our staff meetings here, they last an hour, like to the T, to the, to the button, right? Because I just, I hate frivolous conversation. It's the same reason why I hate like small talk. Hey, how's the weather? Like, how's your heart? Who cares about the weather? (laughs) Seriously, it's so classic, right? If the snowstorm's coming, go to the grocery store, right? And everyone is talking about the weather. A few days ago when we had the ice storm of death for a few hours, right? (laughs) Right? Right? What is everyone talking about? The ice storm. Ice will come and go. Like, hey, guess what? I've lived for a while. The weather changes, right? 
Is it really that interesting? I'll tell you what's way more interesting is meaningful conversation. I love the fact that the people aren't interested in just hearing Moses orate. Like, they want to move. They want to be people of action. In other words, generous hearts don't talk about generosity. They are generous. And that's what the people do here. And they came, verse 21. Look at this. Come on. Everyone who's what? Everyone who's what? Come on whose heart stirred him, and everyone whose spirit moved him and brought the Lord's contribution to be used for the tent of meeting and for all its service and for the holy garments. They're hearing Moses' command, and something happens in their heart. Come on. Guaranteed, every single one of you have been on an off-ramp before. Right? And sure enough, you see the person with the sign, right? Gauge your heart by this example. How many of you see the person with the sign and the first fruits of your heart are that person needs to get a J-O-B? Or how many of you instantaneously, not worried at all about the situation of the person, how many of you, your heart instantly just drops? That, in its most basic form, is a phenomenal indicator of where your heart's at. Why? Because the person's story and the reasons why that person is there does not drive generosity. The gospel does. If that was the case, if that person's failures, if that person's successes, if that person's desire to get a job is what drove generosity, then we're all in trouble. Because then God should judge us on all of those same criteria. Oh, you're not interested? Forget you. You don't want a job? Forget you. You don't want to serve in my kingdom? Forget you. You don't want to, you, you want to be complacent and sit in your comfort? Forget you. If that was the case, we're all in trouble. The very premise of the gospel is unmerited, undeserving, and even at times not interested. And God in his compassion, in his grace, in his mercy, bleeds out literally. Just gauge your heart right now. You come to situations like that. You see this video, right? It's like, does your heart just instantly like, ah, oh, I long just to help or pray through ways that I can do whatever I can do. Or is it classic kids always making people cry, you know? Verse 22. So they came. Reiteration of verse 21, just in case you didn't see it. Verse 21 says, and they came. Verse 22, making the point that they came. And so they came, both men and women. All who were of a willing heart brought brooches and earrings and signet rings and armlets and all sorts of gold objects. Every man dedicating an offering of gold to what? To the Lord. Now we get a huge piece of the epidemic in Christendom. They're bringing their rings and brooches and signet rings and all these things. 
and they're bringing them to the Lord as an offering to the Lord. In other words, they're not dropping the offering and then looking around. Did you see this? You know, the 24 carat right here. You know what I'm saying? You like this, right? Oh, did you? Oh, look at this. My whole entire wallet, you know? Did you guys watch this? Boom, like there it all is. When the offering is given for the satisfaction of people, then it's not generosity at, at all. It's self-serving. It's I'm going to give so people think I'm a giver. Instead, what needs to happen is people see you give to the Lord so they know that he's the giver. Completely different lifestyle, completely different heart. So they give their offerings to the Lord. And what does it tell you about these people? Like they are bearing fruit in keeping with repentance. These people, days ago, days ago, built a golden calf and worshiped it. And now they're generous. Does that provide anyone some hope? I mean, literally, some of you sitting in this room right now are some of the most hoarding, hard, self-centered people. And yet what this story encourages us with, pre the cross of Christ and resurrection, is that hearts can change by the power of God. These same people all of a sudden become generous and they give and they're excited to give. And they don't find themselves as holders or hoarders. And everyone, verse 23 said, who possessed blue or purple. I, I can't make that say anything else. Everyone who possessed blue or purple or scarlet yarns or fine linen or, here we go, goat's hair or tanned ram skins or goat skins, they brought them, everybody. Just try to imagine this scene for a second, okay? Try to imagine, like, if, if, this, if it was us. Small microcosm, because this is hundreds of thousands of people, but if it was just us, and we all went to our homes, and we just, we got our stuff, right? And then we all showed back up, and it just became this massive collection of generosity. Could you imagine the joy in that moment? Seriously. Like, could you imagine the joy of just looking around you, and not in a self-serving way, but enjoying watching people sacrificially give for the glory of God. Uh, that's why there's so much power uh, in being on mission together. Uh, we just had our Ecuador meeting uh, a couple nights ago for folks who were interested in going. We had 50-some people show up just for the interest meeting. Okay? Now, now, why is that? Because when people are on mission together, what they're saying is, we want to be generous with our time, we want to serve with one another because we know the fruit will be tremendous. Okay? Beautiful, beautiful stuff. Everyone all together. And every skillful woman spun with her hands. And they all brought what they had spun in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twine linen. I asked this several weeks ago, but how many of you guys are spinners? Okay? How many of you guys spin and weave and do things? None. Okay? Um... We're not going to have like a, some of you guys make scarves and stuff. I know you do, all right? So all these women are bringing stuff with their hands. Look at this. And all the women whose hearts stirred them uh, to use their skills spun the goat's hair. How of you guys are spinners of goat's hair, right? All right, that's what we're missing. We need some goat's hair up in here, okay? Verse 27, look at this. And the leaders brought onyx stones and stones to be set for the ephod for the breastplate of the high priest. 
and spices and oil for the light and for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense. And verse 29, all the men and women, the people of Israel, whose heart moved them to bring anything for the work that the Lord had commanded by Moses to be done, brought it as a freewill offering to the Lord. I mean, for me, this is one of the most beautiful scenes in all of Exodus. These same ignoramuses who days earlier, building golden stuff, all of a sudden, all of them building. So, my big question is, what are the implications of the gospel and generosity? In other words, how do we see the gospel in a story like this? Well, I want to share with you some of these things, if you don't mind. Next slide. Why is generosity central to the gospel? The gospel itself is the greatest act of generosity ever. It will never be matched. It will never be beat. Earlier before the service, reading Philippians chapter 2. And he humbled himself, even to death on a cross. God generously gives his son. Is there, is there a greater act of generosity that you've seen or known? Does your greatest generous act even come close? Because the generosity had nothing to do with those who he was being generous to outside of his deep love for us and the glory of the Father. God gives his son and shows us all the definition of generosity. In other words, it has no barriers. It has no bounds. It is all giving. This is huge, and I want to spend some significant amount of time on the second one. Those who have benefited from the gift of Christ have encountered the fullness of generosity so can model it at the deepest, most pure level. The most generous people on the face of this planet better be those whose God's spirit resides in. It better be those who believe in the gospel, who have tasted the generosity from God himself. Here's my question. Are Christians being out-generositized by the world? Are we the most generous people? Are we the most generous tippers? Heck no. Listen, I'm, I'm about to get real with somebody right now. Okay, I was a waiter. Let me tell you some stories real quick, okay? I was a waiter on Sundays. And you know what? Hated it. Why? Because the same church people sat in my section Sunday after Sunday at Pondegrosa Steakhouse, right? And they thought that giving me a $1.50 tip on a table of 16 was a blessing, right? So they would hand it to me Sunday after Sunday with a smile, like, here, son, you know, go buy you a pack of bazooka bubble gum, you know? Like, I, I know you've just slaved, you know, I know you've, I know you've sweated over, I, I, right? Like, you've got sweat in our steak. Like, you, you know, I know you've been serving us. But here, son, like this $1.50, and I was just like, I hope you don't give that to non-believers. Because I can, in my heart, though I want to punch you in the face, like, I'll forgive you in Christ, right? But a non-believer walks away seeing your nine, seeing your Sunday best, and connecting the gospel with weak generosity. And then you have the whole other scheme of Christians who give a track instead of a buck. 
Listen, if you ever see that happen in a restaurant, pick those people up on your shoulders, lay your wallet down on the table, and kick them out of the restaurant, okay? And sometimes, right, they even get really, they get really creative. They lay down the million-dollar bill track, right? So the waiter comes up to the table, and they're like, score today, right? Like somebody threw down. And then it's not a dollar. It's monopoly money with the gospel inside. What? Just at the most purest level, are you a good tipper? Let's just get real. Let's just get practical, right? I mean, I'm just going to bring you into something right now. When I get my hair cut, it's Christmas time for whoever's cut my hair. Whether they do great or whether they do bad, it doesn't matter. Why? Because I know inevitably the question's going to come up. What do you do? And I will be darned if I say I'm a pastor and then I give her 50 cents and say have a nice day. I'm not going to tell you the amount that I tip, 10 bucks every time, but I I am going to (laughs) say, all right? Because I know what's happening in the conversation after, right? Like, what happens typically, right? Because I'm only in there for like 15 minutes. That's all this takes, you know? Like, I'm only in there for 15 minutes. And and then I know, right, that the moment I walk out, like, man, that pastor, that, okay, okay, hope he comes in here tomorrow, you know? (laughs) That's the kind of reputation I want. At the most purest level, you see acts of generosity. I don't do that so I can tell you the story. I'm just bringing it into my heart. Like, this is the way Christians can operate because we have encountered the grace of the gospel ourselves. We have tasted the most purest, deepest form of generosity in the work of Christ. And so everything that we do then is in response to that. So the question is, is that what we're embracing? Is that the kind of life that we're loving living? Last thing on this front that I want to say is it's not too late, and it's not a matter of your resources. In other words, like some of you are like, but Mark, I don't have $10 to to give when I get a haircut. I understand that. That's why generosity isn't necessarily about the dollar amount. It's about the heart. Then invest your time into that hairdresser. Then as she's going to town, you dig into her life, and you take opportunities to encourage her. And you say, or him, and you say things like, man, I thank you so much for doing that. People are just beat down day after day. And when you come in willing to take some of your sweet, precious time and engage in their life, it's gold. It's gold. So many practical things. Why is generosity central to the gospel? Next slide. There is an understanding that our life is but a mist. Believers are not building personal kingdoms, but rather submitting to the kingdom that already exists forever. In other words, why are you hoarding? Well, I want, I want, my, I want my kids to be set up. I understand that. Nothing against a college fund. Nothing against Dave Ramsey, right? Dave Ramsey's like the Christian Pope, you know? Right? Nothing against all of this. Nothing against saving. So that, as Joseph did in the drought, that you're prepared. Nothing against any of those things. But if any of those things are for the building of your kingdom and not submission to the wisdom of God, then all you're doing 
is you're hoarding so that you are comfortable. And someone's going to have to show me a passage outside God being the God of all comfort in our travesty where comfort is a promise for the believer on this earth. Oh, we will be in comfort, in glory, forever in the arms of Christ, and I cannot wait. But here and now, that's not promised. I'm comforted because I know I have my eternity secured in the blood of the Lamb. But my friends, the giving of my things is very, at times, uncomfortable. Opening my home in hospitality, giving of my resources down to the dollar that stretches me so far. Here's what I want to say. Some of you right now think that you're being generous, but it requires no faith to give. No faith. Some of you give, but your faith isn't stretched. In other words, because of the resources that you have or the time that you have, you feel like you're being generous and in reality, your faith not being stretched at all. Oh yeah, God, here, here you go. And God's like, no, 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 keep it coming until you have to be fully reliant on me. And that's the place of generosity. When you have to believe that it's all his. When you have to trust that he's gonna figure it out you and I get the privilege of just obeying. Okay, I rarely do this, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this, and some of you are very scared. Um, I have a challenge uh, for all of you in the next seven days. What is your hardest thing to give? Identify it. What's your hardest thing to give? Is it time? Is it hospitality and opening your home? Is it your resources? What is your absolute hardest thing to give? And you pray tonight that whatever that thing is, that God will stretch you beyond what you thought possible in that area of generosity. Do you understand what could happen in this body if God answered that prayer? He's like, okay. You give me that hardest thing that you're holding on to so strong because of all those fears, you fully give it to me. And I'm just telling you right now, what if we pray tonight for God to move unified, body-wide, that he called us to give in areas that were so difficult for us to give up. What if that happened across the board? Don't you think it'd be crazy? Like, all of a sudden, the release of all of it. And then what I believe would happen is the joy that would come with it would cause, all of a sudden, generosity to be stirred. Not just for momentary go-for-its, but because you believe that your response to the greatest act of generosity ever is to show the gospel at the very practical level of how you live. My brothers and sisters, it's not your stuff. It's not your time. Those aren't your kids. All of it sits in the palm of a great sovereign God who allows breath 
to be breathed. And so church, I'm calling us as a body to show the power of the gospel in our response of generosity to others. Let's stand together. Come on. All right. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray that. Is that cool with you guys? We're going to pray that. We're going to pray that in the next seven days, every single one of us are stretched to the end of ourself. We're going to pray that we give more than what we thought possible. We're going to pray that God will show us that he'll create in us a stirring. We're going to pray for a change of heart. We're going to ask right now for his glory's sake that this church, that this body of Christ, that Matthias's lot would be known for their generosity. Their genuine, hearted, sincere, not self-serving generosity. That man, when there's missionaries, easy, taken care of. God figures it out. Then when there's needs in the body, no worries. Acts 2, 42 to 47. And on and on and on. May we be known as people who have responded to the generosity of God. So let's pray for those things. In your own way, maybe whisper it out. Let's just speak it out together. Let's pray for God to move in our lives and our hearts right now. Come on. God, thank you. Thank you for showing us how it's done. Thank you, God, for letting loose of your son. God, tear the grip away. Pull our hands off of what we've perceived as our things and our stuff and our schedules and our time and our resources. God, give us the real picture tonight that this is all yours. We have no kingdom to build. You've already built it. So God, please help us submit. Help us lay our things down, our hearts down. Change our hearts at the core, God. And I pray that you'll pull us, draw us, lead us to the end of ourself. Increase our faith, God. When fears and what-ifs start to cripple, I pray that the freedom of the Spirit in us will simply obey. So God, here we are collectively as a body, laying who we are at the foot of your throne.